Welcome to Small Business Big Network, the podcast for small business owners who want big results from their networking. I'm Liz Drury, a freelance voiceover artist who knows that if you're not working, then networking could help. Naomi Rich's MBE is a motivational speaker, performance coach and Olympic medal winner who finds that networking is invaluable for her business. Thank you very much for being my podcast guest today, Naomi. Lovely to be here. (laughs) Now, you're known as a motivational speaker and a performance coach, but you've had quite a journey. So let's start at the beginning. Tell me about what your school days were like. God, that was a lifetime ago. Um, it was, yeah, school was school was challenging. Um, I was diagnosed with um, an eye condition called achromatopsia when I was just a few months old. And mm. I guess from that moment, my parents knew that everything was going to be a challenge. It wasn't going to be, you know, particularly smooth um, through school and, and even life. They didn't know what, what was ahead, really. Um, so achromatopsia means that I have absolutely no colour vision. Mm. I struggle very much with light. I'm very light sensitive and I lack quite a lot of detail um and school was was a challenge I think you know anybody listening would probably agree that the integration of of um disabled people into schools mainstream schools in the 80s and 90s wasn't great yeah um the technology wasn't there I honestly think technology has made such a difference to that Mm. um now because you know black and white photocopiers back then you know, it was awful. You ended up with about six shades of grey and trying to then differentiate when you had everything enlarged onto A3 in large prints that you could see. It just made it really hard. Yeah. And often the teachers didn't didn't try, didn't make an effort. So there were some that were amazing and they will always stick in my mind. But also kids uh, in my class, my peers, were were quite nasty Mm. um, because in a way, a visual impairment is an invisible disability. Mm. They can't quite comprehend what's going on. Yeah, they just know that you get a bit more attention and that you sit at the front of the class. But I think the thing that also baffled them was that I was incredibly good at art, and mm. they were going, "What well, you're meant to be blind? How can you be better at art than we are?" <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was it was a challenge. Um, but my mum was well fought. She she always was was coming into school and saying, "Why aren't you doing this? How come you can't get this sorted?" She was a, a real fighter. She was a real lioness. Um, and I then ended up going to college in Worcester um, when I was um, 16 to do my A-levels, which the college was for blind and visually impaired mm. youngsters um, run by the RNIB. And it was just, it was absolutely the making of me, being able to be in that environment where almost I was less disabled than everybody else. Yeah. And people were saying, Naomi, can you help me with this? And I'm going, what, me help you? <laughs> That's all backwards. I'm not used to that. So yeah, that was that was great. That was my, that, I suppose that in a nutshell was my, my education. And what did you envisage yourself doing when, when you were younger? What did you think you'd go on and do as, as a job? Oh, goodness knows. I think I wanted to be an artist. I mean, one thing mum and dad were always incredibly good at was follow your dreams, do what makes you happy. Mm. They didn't put any pressure on me. Um, they were always proud of whatever I achieved and, you know, it was, it was wonderful. Um, but I think looking back in hindsight, which is a great thing to have, um, I can honestly say that I suppose the one thing I didn't want to be when I was growing up was defined by my eyesight. Mm. I didn't want to be the blind girl. I didn't want to be the girl who struggled, the girl who needed help. So maybe more than anything, more than wanting to be an artist or an astronaut or a doctor or, you know, all those things that, that youngsters want to be, I wanted to be not defined by the thing that everyone thought was holding me back. Yeah. And so what did you do after A-levels? What was your next step? 
So um, my dad was an engineer um, and we, whenever I had a school project where I had to make something, dad and I would do it together. Mm. Um, we'd build little things um, and I'd take them in and you know get do really well <laughs> with those. And I loved creating and making and building. I, I, and I was also really into photography, which is, I struggled a little bit with focusing, getting mm. the focus right on the lens, but um, I still enjoyed it. And I went and did an art foundation year in London and then... I started off thinking I wanted to do photography and ended up deciding that I wanted to do jewellery, um, jewellery making and mm. silversmithing. And I ended up at Bucks New University doing uh, a design metalwork and, and jewellery degree, which wow. uh, I graduated from in 2006. So, yeah, totally mad. Um, <laughs> and so what, a very what, big magnifying glass a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and what, what was your first job after graduating? Um, so... I didn't, uh, my first, okay, I'll have to go, go skip forwards and then go back because my first job after graduating was actually when I started to work for the Youth Sport Trust in 2013. Okay. There's a lot of years in between yeah. 2006 and 2013. I, and this is probably going to be your next question, yeah. but is the, the best way to go. I got involved with the rowing team um, in 2004 whilst I was at, still at university. So rowing became part of my life before I'd graduated um and the way that the rowing was going and it was a it was a brand new sport you know rowing for for dis- disabled individuals mm-hmm. so adaptive rowing it was new um and it wasn't a Paralympic sport at that time and so I got the phone call in 2004 because I tried rowing briefly when I was at college from a guy called Simon who said Naomi I hear you're tall uh, you're visually impaired and um, you're a girl and um, <laughs> we, we'd like you to come and trial for the Great Britain Disabled Rowing Team and I went okay that could be cool um, so I did that and we won what they call Paralympic status the International Paralympic Committee voted rowing in as a new sport to mm-hmm. debut at Beijing in 2005 so by then we started to get funding and rowing could be done as a, as a full-time not, not quite a job. Yeah. Doing a sport full time is more of a, um, a life choice. Yes. Than a life choice, if I'm honest. But, you know, I was I started doing that straight out of university, really. That's that's where it kind of that's where it went. Um, and I didn't need um, to 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 have another job alongside yeah. it. So if, if this was sort of such a, a new sport, mm-hmm. how, how did you actually come across it? Was it something that was promoted through your university? No. So one of my friends, um, called Paul he he was at college a year above me and he was in the team already and because um FISA so um the international governing body for for rowing so with football you've got FIFA Mm -hmm. with swimming you've got FINA and with rowing you've got FISA so um FISA decided that the adaptive rowing had to be a mixed for mixed boat yeah so cox could be either gender they're the small person that directs and steers and shouts (laughs) and then the rowers the four rowers had to be two boys and two girls yeah to get more inclusion and more people into the sport because getting disabled people to row at the time was quite hard Mm -hmm. so trying to get an all boys crew and an all girls crew was really tricky so they made sure that they had a mixture um in the crew to enable the boats to to be created and I mean, I, I guess certainly with, with um, you know, v- visual impairment, there are there are different levels of visual impairment. So how do you make sure that it, that it's fair for everybody? Well, what we used to do, actually, um, and the rules been changed um, because it, they realised it didn't make that much of a difference, um, was everybody who was visually impaired had to wear goggles, which blacked out all your vision. Right. Um, so 
who started off with these horrible big ski goggles, you know, the <laughs> massive ones that cover half your face. They were not good for the tan lines. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, um, but then eventually I, I, I re- being the creative person I am, my dad being an engineer, I redesigned them um, and I bought ski goggles, which are a lot more streamlined and attractive looking and basically use mastic on the inside mm. of them to, to black them out so you couldn't see anything. Wow. <laughs> so I had to race in those. So everybody was visually impaired, had the same, had had as little sight as each other, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. And so when did you find out that you were going to be part of the team for 2012? Oh, not until a few months before. Um, they trial you all year round. There's always, you know, you, you do so well and you go to sort of world championships or, or whatever, but that's then then it's kind of, I suppose, it's like a, a sales team in a company. Once you come to the end of your financial year, your scoreboard goes back to zero. So mm. once you've come back from a world championships, whilst your result there will, will denote the level of funding you'll receive, it doesn't mean that you will automatically make it into the next boat right. on the next year. So because more people come into the sport, more people trial and suddenly somebody turns up who's got the same disability as you who's a two inches taller and they're a bit faster so then you have to compete against them so it's all very competitive all year round so yeah the final trials of 2012 were I think in the May before the games wow. so it gave us four months but we the, the crew that was selected was the crew that had been at the world championships last year we all retained our seats yeah which was amazing so we had already been together for well over a year and so what what was the run-up to the olympics like oh it was crazy it was crazy i can't believe it was almost exactly 10 years ago yeah <laughs> um absolutely mad um the the olympics was on when we were in our training camp in spain so the paralympics started i think on the last day of august yeah um on 31st of august was the opening ceremony i think and we were on day or was it the 20th, 30th? I can't remember anyway. But we were on date, or the 2nd of September was our finals day. And I remember being in Spain and, and all legging it back from the from the lake after training session to be back, to be able to watch <laughs> one of our British crews yeah. racing at the Olympics and knowing that, oh my gosh, that's going to be our stage in just a, week, a month's time. It's, you know, watching Helen and Heather win the first gold of the Games yeah. and winning it in the, in, in, in the pair for, for GB. It was, it was magical. Um, and the kind of the fever that kind of gripped the UK, <laughs> it's like hard to, you know, uh, hard to really you know, get that back. Yeah. I think there was a bit of that this year with the Commonwealth. In yes. Definitely. Yeah. It definitely yeah. gripped the nation a little bit. But 2012 was incredibly special in that way. I think partly because we'd gone, oh, no, it's, it's, you know, we've got a disaster with tickets and a disaster with this, that and the other. And we all sort of downplayed it. Typical British style. Oh, it's going to be awful. It's going to be a disaster. And then we were going, oh, no, it's brilliant. It's really good. Everyone loves it. So, yeah, it was it was an absolutely magical summer. And what was what was race day like and, and the race itself? Oh, race day. So we got down early and um, we did a pre-paddle. So we went out and we did um, sort of two or loop and a half, so about sort of five, six kilometres, just just tuning up, just getting used to the water. The crowds had already started arriving, so people were already screaming for you from the from the bandstand, mm-hmm. you know, and it was it was lovely. Um, and just getting starting to soak in the atmosphere. And um, we'd made it straight through to finals because we'd come first in our heats, but the Germans had also come first in their heat, so we were the sort of the biggest competition, um, mm. so the Germans and, and us. Um, came off the water, went and had a second breakfast because obviously we'd had one at the hotel before we left. 
and then we did a load of stretching and we all had our individual land warm-ups because I'm I was visually impaired James is visually impaired with a slightly different dis- visual impairment to me um, Pam um, had has um, arthritis which causes her joint pain a lot mm. of the time and Dave um, had nerve damage in one of his arms and 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 really fused well almost fused ankles so he didn't really have much bend mm. so we all had our own impairments or limitations and our physio worked so hard and our coaches worked so hard to make sure that we all had our individual warm-ups that would Mm. all get all our bodies in shape to be able to deliver what we needed to deliver but all very individual um and then we got on the water about oh 40 minutes before the race started um so it's an awful lot of time for a three minutes 19 second race really (laughs) So I always try and say to the youngsters in the rowing club, you know how important your warm-up is. It's really important to get your warm-up in. And people underestimate how important that is, actually. Yeah. So when it came to the actual race then, when when was it you realised that you won? Did did you know straight away? No, absolutely not. Um, I knew that the Germans were in the lead until about 300 metres to go. Mm. And then... I didn't actually have a clue what was going on because the the crowd, the noise from the from the stands, the there was almost and I've heard Catherine Granger talking about this as well. There's it was almost like the water was fizzing with the, <laughs> with the energy and the noise coming from both sides yeah. of, of and everybody most well most people there were shouting for GB, um, which is amazing. And it was so loud that I literally couldn't and I've got these goggles on so I can't see what's going on <laughs> and I literally could not hear the german crew next to us and i could not hear lily delivering our race plan through the speakers in the boat yeah. i couldn't hear a darn thing <laughs> and i didn't even hear the finish line buzzer <laughs> all i knew was that david stopped rowing because he was sat in front of me and sort of collapsed onto my feet and i thought oh, it's I over across the finish line <laughs> and and then pam told me where we'd come but yeah wow it was it was very surreal because i can't you're not allowed to take your goggles off either until one of the umpires holds up the flag says yeah that that race is which you can't see you know, which i can't <laughs> see and funnily enough so it really really interesting and really lovely um this year just gone was my first year as chair of henley women's regatta which mm-hmm. is um just held just two weeks before henley royal and one of the umpires, um, he, he, um, Richard Dennis, and I was sat in his launch following a few races, and he said, do you know, you know, I was the admiral that held up the white flag at the end of your race in 2012. And I went, no, I didn't know it was you. And it was just so nice to have that little moment of memory between yeah. us that he was the one that said, yeah, you, got, you guys are one. GB won. You know, Amazing. and that was just, yeah, really, really special. Yeah. So what came next after the Olympics then? I did one more year. Um, and I found it a real struggle, a real mm. slog, uh, because post-games blues, I mean, I'd been aiming for London for, what, over seven years, yeah. um, because of when we won won the bid and knew that London was the host city for 2012. Um, and I, I decided to retire after my 2013 World Championships, and thinking, I have no idea what to do with my life. <laughs> um, I, I can make jewellery, and I can row quickly. What sort of career is that? You know, I didn't know what to do, but... We're very fortunate. Um, the English Institute of Sport and um, a lot of the things we have access to as athletes. And I had a, a fantastic um, performance, lifestyle performance advisor um, called Mel. And I'd worked quite a bit with her. And, and also after 2008 Paralympics, where we, we took the bronze medal, um, the one of the key people in British rowing, Anna-Marie Phelps, she asked me to go and talk to her kids mm. in, in their private 
school in the middle of London. Little little people, you know, little yeah. sort of reception up to year four or whatever. And I thought, what on earth am I going to talk to them about? <laughs> um, and I created this little story of me being at school and going into rowing and, and struggling and having all these battles to fight. And then I came back from the Paralympics with a bronze medal. And I found that they were absolutely glued to my every word. And I, I loved it. I was there all day. I spoke to every class. I absolutely loved it. Just that feeling of, you know, they might remember something I've said to them when they have a tough time. And I might help them by having said something useful. Mm. And so I did a few more talks and I really enjoyed that. And I kind of, I often in, in my in my capacity as an, as an athlete found myself being a bit of a mentor to people that were newer into the squad because I've been there pretty much since the beginning mm. everyone else that had been there in 2004 and 5 and 6 had, had left they'd gone, they'd been you know, someone had beaten them at trials or they decided to retire or whatever and I've been there the, the longest time and had the most experience and I found myself being without choosing to be necessarily but really enjoying it, being a kind of a mentor mm. that would help the younger, not necessarily actually younger, but the younger athletes yeah, um, yeah. come up to speed and feel comfortable. And I realised, talking to Mel, that's something I like doing, helping people to achieve what they want to achieve. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, when I retired, I went, and this is, we come back to the Youth Sport Trust, I went to the Youth Sport Trust and worked on their athlete mentor programme where I got to go into schools and work with young people um, for well, a couple of years Um and then alongside that, I started working at a company called Thomas International as a brand ambassador mm. um, because they had just started Thomas Sport, was was a new sort of area of their company, and they're a psychometric assessment provider. And I'd always had an interest in psychology, but because I always felt at school I wasn't academically gifted enough, when in fact it was just that I didn't get the support I needed, yeah. um, I, I'd never really followed it up. Um so I started working at Thomas in 2014 part-time. I was with the Youth Sport Trust. So I started to do a lot of the things I loved, which was helping, mentoring, empowering young people or not-so-young people to be their best selves. Um, and granted, every day your best self can change. <laughs> but it's you know that's, that's something that's really enjoyed. Um, and I was at Thomas then for six years. And then I was made redundant um, after they had a restructure in July 2020 I'd been furloughed for a few months because of Covid yeah, yeah. and yeah got made redundant and decided well I can stand on a stage and talk to people there aren't any stages at the moment because no one's allowed to spend time with anybody <laughs> um and actually when I was made redundant one of the people I got in touch with um, Marissa Marissa Holden she said to me let's let's go for a drink let's have a chat and she said, look, Naomi, I'm a member of these two groups. One's called Athena and one's called BNI. And they're both networking, but they're both very different. Mm. Come and visit. And I thought, what have I got to lose? I haven't got a clue, <laughs> I haven't got a clue what's going on. Um, I'm in this suddenly big, wide, you know, self-employed world. I've got no regular income. I've just got to do something. Yeah. So I went to both of those groups Um and I, I enjoyed both for different reasons, but the one that I am still a member of um, is BNI, which is a fantastic uh, group, really, um, because it gives you, yeah, just the support mm. and asks you for, for tangible results and holds you accountable, and it's just brilliant. And it's really, really helped me to, to 
to feel confident in what I'm doing. Yeah. So tell me something about the work that you do as a performance coach. Who is it that you're helping and, and how are you helping them? So, and this is where, <laughs> this is where the, the coaches in the BNI group will say, you need to be more specific about who you need <laughs> to talk to. I don't need to be specific because everybody, whether you are a single mum running your own business out of your back room or whether you are a multinational company CEO millionaire person you you can you can still always deliver a better performance mm. and I'm not talking about the the profits you make at work and I'm not talking about any of those things I'm talking about you and how you deliver yourself to the people you work with every single day and if you can deliver yourself in a better way you'll get buy-in from more people you'll build better relationships with more people because self-awareness is just such a huge hugely powerful tool if you've got it and you can tap into your own self-awareness and understand the impact you are having on other people and the impact they're having on you and why it's such a powerful thing yeah um so yeah all sorts of people really (laughs) now with it within bni you can only have one person from each kind of industry so one accountant one solicitor and, and so on now i believe that you've changed your seat within your BNI. So, what were you to start with, and what did you become? So, I was the um, motivational speaker in in my chapter, um, and I became the performance coach um, through having a conversation with another BNI member who was saying, "I'm feeling really sort of demotivated." We, you know, we went for a, went for a drink, um, <laughs> bit of a bit of a bit of a theme, really theme, yeah. <laughs> Um, and she she was saying I'm I'm not feeling great at the moment I'm not feeling very driven I'm not entirely sure you know of what's going on and how motivated I am and I'm I'm just nosy I started <laughs> asking questions um, and by the end of it she was saying I feel really motivated now oh how did you do that and I said I didn't do anything I just asked questions you found mm. the answers yourself mm. And she said, well, why, why on earth are you the speaker when you could be the coach? Because being a coach and you build a relationship with a business or you build a relationship with an individual, you're more likely to get speeches and, and ev- speaking events off the back of that. It's a lot harder to go in cold as a speaker and then go and do coaching with them afterwards. It mm. seems to work better the other way around. So I went for performance coaching um, and the lovely Linda Gale made, made sure that was put on the system. Um, because it's not the same as life coaching and it's not the same as as business coaching Mm. um so I don't then block my chapter for either of those two yes um there are crossovers and actually I find myself and the the business coach in my in my um chapter Sarah Grimstick we work really well together and we're able to refer to each other because somebody might come to her saying they think they need a business coach and then actually she says well at the moment I think you need a bit more of motivation and figuring yourself out and your direction mm. out. And then I can tell you practically how to then achieve your goals with your business. But I think you need a bit of Naomi before you need a bit of me. <laughs> and the same the other way around. Yeah. Um, so it works really, really well. Yeah. And so are you enjoying what you're doing now? I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving it. It's, it's always different. I love people. So, um, you know, granted, if I if I spend I spent um, three or four hours at um, Virgin Management running a sort of a high performing teams workshop the other week, and it had been so long since I'd done sort of something like that because of all the lockdowns and things like that. Yeah. I've done a lot of stuff online, which is great because I found that I'm able to deliver those things online as well. Um, 
But I, I had to come down and lie down. I'm exhausted. <laughs> and all I did was get a train into London, train back out again and deliver something for three and a bit hours and meet some people. And now I just want to lie down in a dark room with a damp cloth over my eyes. What's going on? <laughs> but no, it's it's really good fun. Um, knowing that you've had a positive impact and that everybody, every business person with whatever they do will feel exactly the same. When you feel that you've delivered whether it's your printing, whether it's your, you finish somebody's accounts or whether, it, you know, whatever it is you've done for your client, when you know you've done a good job and they feel better for have, you having done mm. your thing, it feels great. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just wonderful to, to be able to be part of it. Yeah. I was just wondering, do you meet many other people with disabilities when, when you're networking? Because I don't meet that many. No, I don't actually. Um, and I'd never really thought about it. I probably should have been, shouldn't I? But no, I don't. Um, but actually, what there's one thing that it, especially something like BNI that has such a clear structure, it really helps you to hone your skills mm. in that in that way. Um, and you can see the difference it, that it's making if you, you use it correctly and you do all the things that are expected. I mean... I'll be honest, I was completely daunted, uh, a little bit overwhelmed when I first started BNI because I thought, oh my God, how can I do all these numbers of referrals and yeah. all these things? And I found it a little bit like, oh, I don't think this is for me. I think this is too much, too much pressure. It's not. Yeah. Because as soon as you start to get it and understand it, it starts happening without you even doing, without even realising it. Before yeah. you, before you even think about it you suddenly made a referral <laughs> you're like oh <laughs> I just did that didn't I yes I did um you know so it's it's one of those it, it's great it works um you just got to give it a little bit of time to kind of get your mind start to connect those dots in that way yeah so finally then Naomi if people want to find out more about you either your motivational speaking or your coaching where's the best place for people to find you so the best place at the moment is LinkedIn um and I'm also on Instagram um I use LinkedIn and Instagram mainly for, for business. I need to get better at Twitter. I'll be told <laughs> off by my business coach for not doing as enough Twitter. Twittering, twitting, um <laughs> twittering. Um but I have a website coming. Um it will be I have a, a good feeling about twenty twenty three. I think autumn and winter twenty twenty two are going to be for me to sort of lay my foundations. Mm. So I've got um the lovely Sean Martin from my chapter, who's a graphic designer and, and web designer. Um, we're going to work together to get to get that um, up and running, uh, and that's really exciting. So, yeah, there will be more more to come, and obviously, I will make sure that that's all over LinkedIn so that people know it's there. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn's probably the best place at the moment. Lovely. BNI members, get in touch, connect with me through the BNI Connect. Of course, <laughs> lovely. Thank you very much for being my guest, and I look forward to seeing the new website when it launches. You're so welcome. Really lovely to chat to you. Thanks for listening to Small Business Big Network. If you found this podcast useful, please do rate, review and subscribe. And don't forget to share it with the rest of your network too.